Well, church, let me invite you this morning to open up a copy of God's Word with me to the New Testament book of Luke, the Gospel of Luke. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. We're in Luke chapter 5 today as we continue a message series that we began last week uh, titled Who's Your One? Uh, uh, we'll be looking at real historical encounters with Jesus. We looked at one last week. We'll do another one today and over the next couple Sundays from uh, the New Testament Gospels in an effort to uh, to, to see Jesus for who he is, uh, to respond to him appropriately, and to tell others about him. And so uh, our title of our series is, Who's Your One? Uh, who is it that the Lord has laid on your heart or will lay on your heart? Or who is it that the Lord would have you share uh, the love of Christ with? And so I want to challenge you to, to think in those terms over the next few weeks. Who is it that perhaps the Lord is leading you? Uh, who is it that's in your sphere of influence? Who is someone that the Lord has laid in your path that you can uh, share the love of Jesus with, that you can show the gospel to in the coming days and weeks as the Lord leads you to that end? In Luke chapter 5 today, we'll begin in verse 17. And so uh, let me invite you to hear from God's word. Luke chapter 5, verse 17 and following. Luke records, he says, One day Jesus was teaching And Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there. They had come from every village of Galilee and from Judea and Jerusalem. And the power of the Lord was with Jesus to heal the sick. Some men came carrying a paralyzed man on a mat and tried to take him into the house to lay him before Jesus. When they could not find a way to do this because of the crowd, they went up on a roof and lowered him on his mat through the tiles into the middle of the crowd right in front of Jesus. So chapter 5 verse 20 when Jesus saw their faith he said friend your sins are forgiven. My name is Steve and I'm a child of God. Recently, God gave me a great sense of peace while I was unemployed and provided a job for me. Because Jesus heals and forgives, I commit to helping others know him. Hi, I'm Sophia, and I'm a child of God. God has forgiven all my sins, and since Jesus forgives, I help others know him. Hi, I'm Rebecca Hall. And currently, I'm, I'm a child of God, and currently, I'm walking through cancer, but I believe that Jesus heals. And because of that, I commit my life to sharing and showing the love of Jesus. My name is Phil, and I'm a child of God. Thirteen years ago, God healed me from lung cancer. I'm convinced that God spared me so that I can share my love with others and his love with everyone. The story continues, Luke chapter 5, verse 21. Luke writes, The Pharisees and the teachers of the law began thinking to themselves, Who is this fellow who speaks blasphemy? Who can forgive sins but God alone? Jesus knew what they were thinking and asked, Why are you thinking these things in your hearts? Which is easier, to say your sins are forgiven or to say get up and walk? But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the paralyzed man, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. 
Immediately he stood up in front of them, took what he had been lying on and went home praising God. Everyone was amazed and gave praise to God. They were filled with awe and said, we have seen remarkable things today. Would you bow with me? Father, we do acknowledge this morning that you are a God who does remarkable things. That you are the God who heals and the God who forgives. That you are a God who loves us and who rescues us, who redeems us through the blood of Jesus Christ. Father, we thank you for this portion of your word. And we pray that your spirit would speak to us now through the preaching of your word. Lord, guide us, instruct us, shape us, that we might know and follow Jesus. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen. Well, the men in this particular story, the men in Luke's story here, uh, met the one who forgives. They knew the one who forgives. And every one of these folks that shared with us just a moment ago about uh, about Jesus knows the one who forgives. They know the God who forgives. Let me ask you this morning as we begin, do you know the one who forgives? Do you know the God who forgives? And, and do you know, who do you know, who needs to know the one who forgives? You see, we come together week after week as believers in Christ. We come together as a church, a local church. We are one local church among many local churches here in our city, across the state, all over the world that come together Sunday after Sunday to worship Jesus and to hear from him. So who is this Jesus that we worship? Friends, Jesus is the God who forgives sin. Jesus is the God who forgives sins. This one is the one who forgives. He's the God whom we have wronged and from whom we need to receive forgiveness. And according to God's word, he is the one who stands ready, willing, and eager to forgive us. Our text for this morning is a fascinating encounter with Jesus. If you have spent much time in church, if you grew up in church, it's probably a story that you are familiar with. It's a story that's not only recorded by Luke, but also by Matthew and Mark to highlight the power and the person of Jesus Christ. And this particular story is set during the height of Jesus's popularity. Our text, our text uh, states that verse 17, Pharisees and teachers of the law had come from every village of Galilee and from Judea in Jerusalem. In other words, they've gathered from miles away to come and to see and to hear Jesus. Presumably because they've heard of his popularity and they're concerned about this. Mark's account tells us in Mark chapter 2 verse 1, it says, the people heard that Jesus had come home and they gathered in such large numbers that there was no room left, not even outside the door. So the place where Jesus is, the home where Jesus is, is crowded. Because people want to see and hear Jesus. The religious leaders of the day, the Pharisees and the scribes, are increasingly threatened by his popularity. They're threatened by his message. They're threatened by his, his boldness. Like Jesus does not hesitate to call out the hypocrisy of the religious leaders of his day. And so they've gathered together. They're looking for a way to discredit Jesus. But the common folks are looking to receive help from Jesus. I ask you this morning, have you ever tried to get someone to one who could help them? Ever known someone who was injured or ill and you thought you were going to need to get them to some help? You're going to need to get them to the doctor. You're going to need to get them to the hospital. Maybe a child that's separated from a, a parent in a panic and you're trying to 
take them back to mom or dad or whoever's watching over them. Be honest with you this morning, I had a moment a little bit like that Friday, late Friday afternoon, uh, where I had been out in the heat Friday early afternoon uh, playing some some tennis. And I remember thinking this was in the Rick and Bubba tournament over in Pelham. I was playing uh, doubles with uh, one of our church members, Brad Boswell. And I was thinking in my mind, yeah, this is no big deal. Um, this is just a doubles match. I'm fairly young guy. No, no big thing. Uh, but I get out there and the match goes fine. We lose, except we lose. Uh, that's not so. But afterwards, a little while after the fact, I get a splitting headache. And it gets worse and worse and worse. And by the time I am home, I am absolutely nauseous and sick. Like I've never been sick from being out in the heat. Overheated, dehydrated. I don't know what happened, but I'll spare you the details. It was an hour or more where I thought, uh, this may get worse. And my wife, my lovely wife is saying, do we need to go somewhere? Do we need to get to the hospital? And for a few moments, I'm thinking, yeah, we probably do, but let's wait just a minute and thank the Lord. It gets better. Have you ever been in need of, of someone to help you? Have you ever known someone that needed help? Someone that could not help themselves? Well, here's a man who can't help himself. Here's a, a paralyzed man. We don't know how long he's been paralyzed or how he became paralyzed, but we know he had some friends who loved him and who had heard about Jesus. And so they bring him to Jesus. And their efforts pay off. For Jesus responds to their faith. Church, we must bring the hurting to Jesus. God is a God who heals the hurting. We must bring the hurting to Jesus. I know you know people who are hurting. See, the truth is, people hurt. People experience suffering and hardship in this life. We live in a broken world. I don't, I don't have to convince you of that. We see it all around us. Turn on the news. We see cancer and depression and job loss and divorce. We know of infertility and abuse and rebellious children and shootings and war and violence and grief and automobile accidents. The list could go on and on and on. People hurt. We hurt. And none of us is immune from suffering and hurt and heartache. If you are hurting, draw near to Jesus. If you are hurting, draw near to Jesus. Draw near to the one who can help you take care. See his care and his compassion. Notice his interest in you. Take comfort in his power. Take comfort in his position, but also in his mission. Hear his message. You see, the hurting need to hear his teaching. The hurting need to hear the teaching of Jesus. Who do you know who is hurting? We must be a people, church, who bring the hurting to Jesus. These folks in Luke 5 have gathered to see Jesus do miracles. But Mark says, Mark's account of this says that he preached the word to them. In other words, this is a story of miraculous healing, but the primary healing is not physical. Luke says, verse 18, some men came carrying a paralyzed man on a mat and tried to take him into the house to lay him before Jesus. And they could not find a way to do this because of the crowd. They went up on the roof and many houses in that day had external staircases up to the roof. So they go up the external staircase, lower him through the roof on his mat, through the tiles and to the middle of the crowd right in front of Jesus. In other words, these guys love their friend. They know that he's hurting. They know that their friend needs help. And so they take him to the one that they hear can help him. And Jesus does that. He helps them. Jesus does heal the man, but that is not the greatest miracle here. In fact, according to Mark, as Jesus' popularity is rising and the crowds are flocking to him, we read this in Mark chapter 1, as Jesus' popularity is growing, 
the masses are gathering to him. They're, they're bringing more and more sick folks to Jesus. They want to see his miracles. They want to experience his healing hand. They want to hear what he has to say. And as his popularity is rising, Jesus says to his disciples, Mark 138, let's go somewhere else. So I can preach there also. He says, that's why I've come. You see, the truth, according to the Bible, is that Jesus didn't give the crowds exactly what they wanted, but he gave them exactly what they needed. He explained the scriptures and he called his listeners to repent and to believe the gospel. Church, who do you know who's hurting? Perhaps a better question is, who who do you know who is not hurting? The hurting need to hear the message of Jesus Christ. We need to hear the message of Christ. The hurting need a message of hope, a word of correction for those in error and a word of comfort for all who will receive it. We must bring the hurting to Jesus to hear his teaching, but also to experience his forgiveness, to experience his forgiveness. Verse 20, when Jesus saw their faith, he said, friend, your sins are forgiven. You see, Jesus's first words here. Don't have to do with sin. Jesus' first words do have to do with sin. Jesus' first words have to do with sin, not sickness. Friend, your sins are forgiven. He cares about this man, all of him, and he knows that physical paralysis is not the main issue. It's a symptom of a sick world, a world in disarray because of human sin. And the primary issue that Jesus comes to address is spiritual paralysis. A numbness. To our need for a savior. We need a savior. We need forgiveness from our maker. And Jesus is the one. Who provides it. You see the faith here that Jesus honors. Is not just the friend's faith. But I think it's also the paralytic's faith. Their faith. Refers to the whole party. The friends and the paralyzed man. The forgiveness offered is not earned or achieved. That's not what he's saying. But it's received. Notice the passive tense verse here. The man is forgiven by God. Your sins are forgiven. And Jesus' announcement implies that he can forgive on God's behalf because of who he is. Friends, we must see Jesus for who he truly is. We must see Jesus for who he truly is, not who we want him to be or think him to be, but who he really is according to uh, God's word. We must see Jesus for who he truly is. When Jesus announces forgiveness for the man, the focus of the narrative suddenly shifts. There's a dramatic shift in what unfolds here. It's like a bomb has been dropped in the minds of the Pharisees and the scribes. Who is this fellow? What is he doing? Who is this guy who's committing blasphemy? Who can forgive sins but God alone? See, blasphemy is speaking evil of God or blatantly disrespecting God. And according to the law in Leviticus, it was punishable by stoning. You don't want to be guilty of blasphemy. And because Jesus is claiming here to be in the position of God, he's claiming to do something that only God does. The Jewish leaders accuse him of blasphemy. But it's only because they fail to see Jesus for who he truly is. Who is this fellow? Who can forgive sins but God alone? But he is God. He is God. Jesus is God. Jesus is the fullness of God in human flesh. The Pharisees are right that only God forgives sins. But this man, he is God. 
They correctly see that only God forgives, but they wrongly see Jesus. And church, this is a reminder that to know God, we need to know Jesus, the Son. The one who said to us, I and the Father are one. The one who said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. The one of whom Peter said, salvation is found in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. The one of whom Paul said, for God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him. And through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. He is the one. Jesus is the one. Our story reveals that Jesus immediately knew what they were thinking. Evidence in and of itself of his deity. Don't ever let someone say to you that the biblical witness concerning the identity of Jesus is unclear. Or that he was only uh, a man and not the God-man. Attempts to reduce the deity of Jesus fail to take Jesus' own words and the New Testament record seriously. Church, Jesus is the God who forgives sins. And this is why we absolutely must tell folks about him. He is God. And he is the son of man. He is the son of man. Verse 24, he says, but I want you to know that the son of man has authority on earth to forgive sins. If you spend much time reading the gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you see this title all over the place. Son of Man was Jesus' favorite self-designation during his earthly ministry. And the title is used 81 times in the Gospels. Either from the lips of Jesus or by the Gospel writers to refer to Jesus. And Jesus doesn't pull this title out of thin air, but it has a history. It has an Old Testament history. In the, in the Scriptures, it's used a couple different ways. Sometimes it's used simply to refer to one's humanity. You see an example of that in Psalm 144, verse 3. But the prophet Daniel uses it in a different way. He uses it to describe one who is coming to establish God's kingdom. Listen to what Daniel writes in Daniel chapter 7 verse 13. He says, in my vision at night I looked and there before me was one like a son of man. Coming with the clouds of heaven, he approached the ancient of days and was led into his presence. The ancient of days, that's God. He was led into God's presence and he was given authority, glory and sovereign power. All nations and peoples of every language worshipped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away. And his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. And so this one, like a son of man, with an everlasting dominion, is Jesus. He is the Son of God and Savior of the world. He's the Messiah. Danny Aiken, president of Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary, helpfully explains. He says, Jesus uses this title, Son of Man, to refer to himself with both connotations. As God incarnate, he, he is a human being who identifies with sinful humanity As he serves and suffers on our behalf. But as God, he is the coming Lord of glory. In other words, Jesus utilized this title. Jesus utilized this self-designation to convey his personal identity and the scope of his ministry as being the mediator between God and humanity. Jesus is the Son of Man. Jesus is God. We must see Jesus for who he truly is. And we must glorify Jesus for what he does. 
We must glorify Jesus for what he does. In other words, what he does is worth our praise and adoration. Friends, we worship a God who does things. We worship a God who does mighty things. The God of the Scriptures, one and only God, He is always on the move. He is not dormant or distant and does not disappoint. This mighty and majestic and mysterious God who is three in one is eternally alive. He's forever faithful and incredibly near to those who humbly recognize their need for Him. We serve a God who does things. So what does He do? Well, He forgives our sins. Jesus forgives our sins. And keep coming back to this truth because this is the message of this text. Brother, your greatest need is for forgiveness. Sister, your greatest need is for the Messiah Himself. This is the one who forgives us because the paralytic came to Jesus in faith. He received much more than he bargained for. He and his friends came hoping Jesus of Nazareth could meet their deepest need. They were just a bit confused about what it was. When Jesus saw their faith, he said, friend, your sins are forgiven. Friend, do you know your greatest need? Do you know your greatest need? You see, your greatest need is not for a better job or kinder co-workers or sweeter children or a more loving spouse or even for the removal of pain. Your greatest need is the life that Jesus offers to you. Forgiveness of sins, restoration and reconciliation with the Most High God, eternity with Him. That is your greatest need. Jesus stands ready and willing to satisfy your greatest need, your need of forgiveness for sins and restoration with God. Do you know your greatest need? And not only do you know your greatest need, but do you know your neighbor's greatest need? Do you know the person sitting next to you, their greatest need? What about your child's greatest need? Your aunt, your uncle, stranger, you... See, walking down the street, do you know their greatest need? You see, if we know their greatest need, how could we not tell them the solution to their greatest need? How could we not tell them that Jesus forgives the sins of all who come to Him in faith? Tell them what Jesus does. Tell them that Jesus removes our guilt, that He takes our place, that He cleanses and pardons and restores us, that He forgives us our sins and And that He heals our diseases. He heals our diseases. So He said to the paralyzed man, verse 24, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. Immediately, He stood up in front of them, took what He had been lying on, and went home, praising God. A miracle here that fulfilled the promise of Isaiah's prophecy regarding the coming kingdom of God. Isaiah writes in Isaiah chapter 35 verse 6. Then will the lame leap like a deer. And the mute tongue shout for joy. I'm going to bet this lame man leapt like a deer for days on end after this encounter. Truth is God is a God who heals. He's a God who restores. He has done it. He continues to do it and he'll do it forevermore. 
The real truth, according to Scripture, is sometimes God heals in this way, physically, here in this life, and sometimes He doesn't. And truth be told, we don't, we don't fully understand that. We don't always know why that's the case. But we know that He's a sovereign and mighty hand, and we know that one day, one day soon, in the language that the New Testament uses, the King will return the Son of God and Savior of the world, and He will gather all people who know Him, who are children of the Most High God, into His presence to experience healing and wholeness and purpose and significance and everlasting life with no sorrow, no pain, no disease, no discomfort, just enjoyment of Him and His provision forever and ever and ever. We serve a God who makes all things new, who is restoring the world to It's pre-fallen, pre-sin state in the new creation, the new heavens and the new earth. And you are going to want to be there. Will you be there? Friend, do you know the one who forgives? Luke reflects on this. In verse 26, he says, Everyone was amazed and gave praise to God. He says they were filled with awe and said, We have seen remarkable things today. Friend, have you seen the remarkable things that God has done? A remarkable thing that proved Christ's power to forgive sins. That proved that Jesus is the one who forgives. The one who heals our greatest disease, the darkness of our souls apart from God's redeeming grace. Church, Jesus is the God who forgives sin. This is who He claimed to be. This is who we must believe Him to be. And this is who we must declare Him to be. Is He your God? Has He forgiven your sins? If you don't know that, if you don't know that you are forgiven and washed, cleansed and restored, made whole in the presence of the Most High God, then you turn and trust Jesus Christ today. Turn and claim the truth of the gospel that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Turn away from a life of sin and rejection of the Most High God and receive Jesus in faith. Acknowledge that He is Lord, that He is Savior, and your desire to follow after Him, and you will be saved. Now and forevermore. Turn and trust Christ today. Do you know this one who forgives sins? Do you know the God who forgives sins? Who do you know? Who needs to know? The God who forgives sins. Who's your one? Who's your one? Who are you going to share the gospel with in the coming days? Who has God put in your path that He is expecting you to be His representative, His ambassador, to share and to show the love of Jesus, to tell them the solution to the greatest need? See, like the friends that we encountered today, let's commit to help others know Jesus. Let's commit to sharing the greatest news. Who are you going to tell about the remarkable things that He has done? Who are you going to tell about Jesus? Tell someone. They need to know. As we transition in our service this morning, let's let's be amazed today. Let's be amazed and let's give praise to God for the remarkable things He has done. Church, He has done mighty things. He has done great things. He is doing great things. He will continue to do so. Let's trust Him to do so. And let's praise Him 
according to who he is and what he has done. Would you bow with me? Father, you are so good to us. You're so kind and patient and gentle with us. And Lord, despite our sin, despite our arrogance, our selfishness and going our own way and ignoring you. Lord, you run after us. You rescue us. Lord, you planned before the foundation of the world to send your eternal son, your one and only son, to take on human flesh, to become one of us, to live a life as we do here on earth, to experience suffering and hardship and temptation, and yet to do so without sin, to live the only perfect life in our place so that he could give his life away as the perfect sacrifice in our place, that that a great exchange, a great gospel exchange, a great mystery would take place where Jesus takes our guilt and he gives us his righteousness. Father, we thank you for that today. Overwhelm us with that gospel truth today. May we build our lives upon it. May we believe it. May we rest confident in it. And may we proclaim it until Christ comes again or calls us home. Lord, lead us to do so in a way that honors the name of Jesus Christ. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen.